0: All right, everyone, welcome into to another installment of the Sexy Ass Supercross podcast. I am your host, AJ, just like last week and every week. And uh, boy, am I happy to be back here with you guys talking some racing today. Now, obviously, I'm not as happy as I would normally be, uh, given that it's Friday, because of course, as I'm sure you know, by now, Oakland was canceled. Uh, because the whole fucking city's been getting pounded with rain all week. Guys weren't able to build the track. I mean, they were just playing around in the mud at a point, I'm sure. And uh, while I'm sure it was a hilarious spectacle in its uh, own right, uh, it really sucks for us, the fans. And I mean, that's to say nothing about uh, how the racers feel about it, especially the ones that did good last week and are looking to carry momentum. Uh, but since momentum's the topic of discussion, uh, that's the reason I wanted to jump on and do a podcast anyway. I'm just getting started with this thing and while I'd ordinarily like to stick to the recaps, you know, and talk the actual racing, uh, I wanted to do something here, uh, to get us all through the rain delay. And, uh, what I wanted to talk about was inspired by, uh, a topic of conversation that kept coming up on Saturday night, especially when our reigning champion, Eli Tomac, was on the box. And what everybody's talking about, of course, is that uh, with his win in Anaheim 1, he is only three wins away from tying Ricky Carmichael's all-time record of 48 450 class or 250, 450 class, you know, if you count his two stroke career, uh, all time wins indoors, which is really impressive. And uh, the fact that Eli Tomac's uh, coming up on it really speaks to the quality of his career. And he's just like a a fine wine these days. He just keeps uh, getting better. But when we talk supercross champions, it's hard to do it without looking at their motocross records, too. Uh, Regardless of how you feel about it, regardless of how it came to be in America and in most of the world at this point, uh, dirt bike racing is a two-discipline sport. When you're talking about all-time champions especially, who's the best in the world that ever did it, When you approach that type of verified air, I think most people would be in agreement that uh, both disciplines are equally important to take into account. So what I did is I got out the charts. I I did a little research and I found uh, a list of the uh, all-time 450 motocross wins for Eli Tomac and a lot of the other champions uh, around his point in the list, which is right at the fucking top and it was really interesting to see how he stacked up and just in general to see how everyone who is at the top came to be there in the two disciplines you know supercross versus motocross now while Eli Tomac is fourth all time in supercross between Jeremy McGrath, Ricky Carmichael and James Stewart for how long remains to be seen uh, he's third to- all time outdoors Already, he's got Ricky Carmichael in front of him and uh, Ryan Dungey with 39. Eli Tomac has 32 outside. Now, when we're talking about names like this, we're not just talking about really good guys. We are talking about the best guys to ever throw their legs over a dirt bike. And I've heard some conversation online, so of course you know it's going to be shitty. But it seems that a lot of people seem to feel that maybe Eli Tomac isn't where he should be skill-wise, purely based on ability on a dirt bike, regardless of wins and titles, that he's not uh, really qualified to be up there and being compared with guys like Ricky Carmichael all around, like Jeremy McGrath inside, um, like Ryan Viapoto, and uh, to guys like Ryan Dungy for a lesser extent, who we'll end up talking about a little bit later, but who might also be a guy that is not considered uh, to be a champion on par uh, with the other guys we just mentioned, and uh, maybe this is just personal sentiment getting involved, but uh, also not to be compared to James Stewart, right? I mean, we all know his career was derailed by injuries, much like Ryan Vipotos. And uh, even though Eli Tomac already has more twelve more wins than James Stewart ever did outside on the big bikes. I think most people still, many people at least, consider Bubba Stewart to be the fastest rider of all time. Or if not the fastest, to be in serious contention with the GOAT as we watched him uh, manage to surmount RC a significant uh, amount of times en route to his first 450 championship uh, in 2006. With this all being said, I realized as I was going through the stats and uh, trying to compare uh, overall talent, which is admittedly a difficult or impossible concept, I, I probably wouldn't have attempted it if we weren't busy in the, during the rain delay and uh, I was just desperate to get my hands into something. But getting into the something that I did really beg the question with this talk around Eli, what is it that really qualifies someone as the best writer of all time? Now, it sounds like a simple question, but I think different people are going to have answers that absolutely vary significantly. You know, if you're a balls-to-the-ball type of guy, you're going to say it's pure speed you were going to say if you put uh, all the fastest guys in the world on the track, if you could, you know, uh, get a time machine and bring everybody to their prime and and, and line them up at uh, Redbud or Anaheim One or something like that, the fastest guy, the one that was able to beat everyone else, would be the guy that you have to consider the greatest rider of all time. And that makes sense and it's, it's very simple. It's black and white and that's good because uh, besides in very specific contexts, no one likes anything messy, right? But since we can't really do that, we don't have a fucking time machine, uh, we have to settle for, for speculation. And we have to ask ourselves, uh, what's more important? Is it pure speed? Is it the ability to get the best lap time that anybody could? Or is it something more strategic than that? Is it something more long-term than that? You know, as a slower guy, as someone perhaps like Ryan Dungey, who we mentioned, uh, people never considered him to have the same speed as... Uh, some of the guys he was battling against even when he won his championships. Right. I mean, people would say he was as fast as as anybody certainly, and probably even a little bit faster, but he wasn't blowing the doors off anyone's barn uh, the way that uh, some of these guys did, you know, the way that uh, James Stewart did uh, many times in his career um, on the two fifties outside, going from last to first. And, This was, of course, a feat that he accomplished uh, to a somewhat lesser extent, you know, just running through the pack time after time indoors on many occasions. And that's what made it so exciting. But again, like we said, when you look at his wins, James Stewart only has 20 wins outdoors. Now, that's not to say that's not impressive. But if you're talking about a guy that is the fastest of all time or that you would put in a top two tie, as I would, then you have to ask, is that really enough to where you can say that the potential that he had was actually actualized? And I'm not sure that the answer is yes. You know, he raced from 2006 to 2014, more or less. And he has one outdoor championship on the big bikes and two inside to speak to his legacy. Now, obviously, that was enough to get him inducted into the Hall of Fame, and he absolutely deserves to be there. There's no question about it. But when it comes to sports, are we really allowed to just discount the lack of success or the discrepancy between the success and the uh, potential for that success to be realized uh, just because we loved the speed with which the guy actually rode. After all, the objective is not to be the fastest guy on a bike. When you line up, it's to be the guy that crosses the line in first. And fast guys crash. They ride a line and uh, they have injuries that result. It's not just that they throw it away for One week, you know, they got to get patched up, get the collarbone fixed, you know, something like that. If it's not an ACL, something takes six months. And oftentimes it is something severe like that. And they end up missing entire seasons. And you end up like with a situation like Austin Fortner, where he's missing three Supercross seasons in a row. And, you know, he has only been able to do four out of the last five with any chance at the championship because he's always hurt. And so you have to wonder if a rider that can stay healthy, like Eli Tomac, uh, in this conversation, or also a guy like Ryan Dungey, if the fact that they can line up time after time and always live to see another day is something that deserves to have them in the conversation for the greatest of all time when it comes to their success at the sport itself at succeeding at winning races and championships, which is a different thing than just simply trying to be fast. And I think if you look at any other sport, you know, you look at football, you look at hockey, they try to keep everything the same so that the percentage is as high as it possibly can that the best guy fucking wins. And even if it's a guy that's got bad teammates, eventually his contract's gonna come up and he's gonna get traded and a team with other good players is gonna want him because he's fucking great and he's gonna end up having some level of success. If a guy came along that was uh slated to be the best quarterback in history, but he never won a Super Bowl, it would be hard to put him above uh someone, for example, who has seven like Tom Brady. And, and really say with confidence uh, that the one guy was better at what he did than the other. Maybe he threw the ball better, but he didn't get to more Super Bowls and he didn't bring home the trophy, whatever the circumstances. Of course, in my typical fashion, I'm not saying all of this to make any particular sort of point. I'm not that intelligent. But what I am trying to do is simply draw attention to the unique element that our sport has, which goes by the name of chaos, pure chaos and mayhem, that makes the task of comparing athletes, which is already difficult in any discipline, so fucking difficult when it comes to these guys riding the bikes. There are so many unpredictable factors, not just with injuries and not just with varying talent across the indoor and outdoor disciplines, but with equipment failures, which are pretty unique to the sport, um, with bad starts, with devolving track conditions and horrible track conditions, you know, not everybody's uh, great at running mudders and some guys are fucking excellent at it, right? So with all the variables, it's not my intent here to convince you that Eli Tomac if he were to race for two more years, stave off retirement and climb to second place all time in motocross and supercross wins combined, would have to be considered the de facto second best rider of all time. All I am saying is that stats are important and wins are important and strategies are important. You don't sacrifice defense just because you want to score 12 goals a period. You measure risk and reward you apply percentages to our advantage, which is something in a world where people are more and more relying on analytics that I think everyone is quickly realizing. So when we do bring up Eli Tomac in the context of these other writers, and as we consider his career as he continues to rack up wins, I'm sure, while I won't be actively advocating for him to be designated the GOAT 2.0, I will be defending his position to belong there, which I think the statistics already show. I think they speak for themselves. But we're not just going to talk about him. We're going to talk about uh, a couple of the other guys on the top of this list in their own right, um, where they could have gone better, where things went wrong, and just how many they have in general. Let's talk about a couple guys and how severely... They dominated in their time. While it might turn out not to be some uh, worldly revelation, some otherworldly revelation that changes your perspective of the sport forever, you know, it fucking rained and we don't got any racing to watch. So uh, all we can really do is take a while and try to kill some time. Now, when it comes to guys that have the most boats, the first guy we got to talk about is the GOAT. We got to talk RC4. That's right. It's RC Carmichael. And uh, he's got 76 outdoors, which is the most by a lot. Like I said, Ryan Dungey's got 39. So RC went and pretty much squarely doubled him. And Dungey's a three-time outdoor champion. So it's not exactly like he's a slouch. Well, Ricky Carmichael has seven of those outdoor titles, and that's not surprising. It seems only fair that that's what 76 wins will get you. And not only did he get those wins, but he got them against other GOATs in their own right, right? He battled Chad Reed for the majority of his career. And then while he was still battling Chad, he had to deal with James Stewart, On more than a few occasions, and he proved himself to be up to the task time and time again. And if he wasn't up to the task, he went back and trained harder and came back and found a way to do it anyway, right? Which is obviously a quality that is uh, largely responsible, or one of many qualities responsible for him being the greatest of all time. Absolutely no one can touch him. Outside, Of course, he wasn't a slouch inside either with five total championships and 48 wins. And of course, this is why it's so impressive that Eli Tomac is only three away from catching him. Obviously, you have to consider, and I think this is the thing that may be puts my argument that statistics matter to bed forever, but lest I shoot myself in the foot, um, the amount of time that the career lasted, right? Certainly these things vary highly from writer to writer. When it comes to Ricky Carmichael's indoor results, you look at the number 48. And while that's obviously impressive, You wonder if it could have been more if he had raced as long as Eli Tomac has. In fact, you know it would have been more. Ricky Carmichael only raced indoors full time from 2001 to 2006. He skipped the 2004 season because of injuries. And that's when Chad Reed picked up his indoor championship, or at least one of his Indoor championships, right? But Eli Tomac's been riding since 2013. He's on his tenth year here, which gave him twice as many opportunities—nearly that many—as uh, Ricky Carmichael ever had to rack up those wins. So the question becomes, and the maze gets ever thicker here, does having a longer career qualify you as a superior dirt bike rider in terms of the success you've had in your career? Eli Tomac is known to be one of the most fit guys in the world. He was bred uh, with the, literally, with the heart, Of a horse, right? There's no question. His dad is professional mountain biker. Mom, professional mountain biker. And what does this guy do? He loves to ride fucking mountain bikes for miles upon miles upon miles in his spare time. I know all the riders ride the bike hours a day because they have to, but this is the kind of guy that fucking wants to. He's got some weird Lance Armstrong syndrome. Or something like that. I'm sure even after he retires, he's still going to be going on thousand mile bike rides. And not only does that play a large part in in his success on the track, but I think it's played a large part in him being able to stay healthy primarily. Which has played a large part in him being able to race for such a long time. We know how hard the grind is for these guys, not just during the weekends, but during the week. And they all talk about when they have injuries or they finally retire, how drained they were emotionally. And that's why many guys retire in the end, not necessarily because of injuries or because they're old and they can't win anymore, but because they get done killing themselves to get through an indoor season. And they realize in a couple of weeks, they've got to wake up every day and start killing themselves again. They don't even get to stop killing themselves, right? And so when we put aside pure speed and talent and talk about someone in terms of their strength as an athlete, period, I think the fact that Eli Tomac has been able to ride for such a long time has to be an accolade that vouches for him strongly in the debate whether he is one of the greatest of all fucking time. At this point, while we're already talking guys who showed the ability to stay in the sport for an extremely, almost ungodly period of time, we might as well go and talk about the guy that's just ahead of Eli Tomac on the list for all-time wins, SX, MX combined. And that's Jeremy McGrath. I might have said it already. He's got 15 outside and 72 inside. He truly is the king of supercross. And that brings him to a total of 87 wins in the premier class indoor-outdoor combined. And when we talk about how long his career is, we're talking a guy that started in 1989 on the little bikes. But he graduated to the big bikes in 1992, and he didn't go on to retire officially until 2006. That's a career that spans three decades, if you include the 125s. Now, I know he retired in there for a couple years and came back, but when he came back, he was still competitive which I think was impressive in its own right, especially when we're talking about uh, these athletes as athletes, as pure physical specimens, the way they kind of discuss them in football, which admittedly is a little dehumanizing. But uh, other things that are impressive about McGrath, and uh, especially when we're talking his stats, after he won his first 250 championship In 1993, which was only his second year in the big bikes, he would only get defeated one time inside between then and 2000, right? He lost one time in 1997, and he won the other seven times. Now, that's the same exact amount of wins that Ricky Carmichael has outside, which I think speaks as a testament to what a gifted writer Jeremy McGrath is. And uh, I think that's worthy to note because often when the uh, conversation comes up for best writer of all time, he is not a guy that's typically thrown in there with as much frequency as uh, James Stewart and uh, Ricky Carmichael. Um, And I'm wondering... Is that fair? And is it because he had a dismal career in motocross? And that's not to say dismal objectively. 15 wins overall on the big bikes, as well as one championship and uh, others that were dashed by bad luck and injuries. Either way, the question remains if he had been able to piece together as much success outside as he had inside if he was able to be as fast outside as he was inside you know if he was more versed in the dual disciplines would he then have to be considered co-goat with ricky carmichael let's say he got 5 outdoor championships instead of just the one or even then would we say when it comes down to pure speed, there was no one that could truly compete with the success put forth by Ricky Carmichael. Obviously, he didn't, you know, so this is really just pure speculation. But I think it goes to reinforce the question we've been asking this entire time uh, in the lieu of world supercross. I'm sorry, not world supercross, supermotocross. God, that's a fucking mouthful. In this era of the sport, trying to push itself together and combine some way how important do we think it is to be versed in both disciplines to truly be considered one of the best and I think when you look at Jeremy McGrath compared to Ricky Carmichael and the difference people find between them it really illustrates how important dual ability truly is. Here, to avoid asking unanswerable questions an innumerable amount of times, I think it would be cool just to wrap this up by kind of looking at the top five or six guys in terms of all-time championships. We've kind of been focusing on race wins, which I do think is important. Clearly, when we're talking about riding conservatively, and I've been making an argument for the merits of this uh, subliminally or outright the entire time, When we talk about Eli Tomac, when we're talking about living to fight another fight, to be able to race, to line up at all 17 gates inside, or for all 11 rounds outside, as it is these days, certainly race wins doesn't tell the whole story. If you're willing to take third one week or not get on the podium for a few weeks in a row, in order to win a championship, such as Jet Lawrence has openly stated, uh, he is willing to do going into this season and like he was willing to do last season, then of course, championships are the most valuable statistic. And I think that goes for any sport, right? In hockey, you're not awarded for winning 60 games in the regular season. Sure, you get the first playoff pick, but no one really cares if you lose the Stanley Cup. You've got to hoist that thing, right? Uh, as we've said before, no one hosted more in either discipline than Ricky Carmichael. He's got 12. Jeremy McGrath has eight, as we discussed, the seven inside and one outside. And then we also talked about Ryan Dungey, right? And he's got seven because he's got four inside. He won in 2010, and then he won from 2015 to 2017. And the reason he didn't win from 2011 to 2014 is because that's when a guy named Ryan Villapoto was at his freaking prime. And uh, he won four years in a row, 2011 to 2014, before he drove the bike into the garage and left it there for the last time. And yet, Via Poto only won six championships compared to Ryan Dungey's seven. We know Via Poto had uh, serious health problems uh, the majority of co- his career, and they especially plagued him. Outside. So he was only able to get the job done two times. And Ryan Dungy's outdoor championship titles did benefit from Ryan Viapoto not being on the line. So the question is when we look at this, do we have to account for that? Or do we look at it like cold statisticians? Do we say Dungy's got more championships? Uh, when it comes to the dual discipline, we can call it super motocross, I guess. He must be a more successful guy than Ryan Viapoto. I don't think we can do that, and I don't think we ever will because our hearts will not be able to let us ignore the fact that it is pure speed. We love it when a guy lays it on the line, and even intuitively when we might think, That pushing beyond that line and and getting loose and and risking everything every night, knowing that you might not be on the line next week, if you do take that route and face some dire consequences, we don't really care at the end of the day. We want to see it because we fucking respect it. And we understand that the guy who's willing to push it the hardest has the biggest cojones. We like to see people risk it all for success. We love stories like that. That's why all these movie plots follow a similar theme, if they're meant to be inspirational, that is, and uh, not all this tragic bullshit. And so we want to see a guy push that line, and we want to see if he goes down. And I think that's why, to answer the question I posed earlier, when we look at lists like this, we'll always have to put it, With an asterisk, and we'll have to say, Well, really, I think that guy should have been ahead of that guy, Uh, but maybe these factors call it into question. Even so, my heart's where my heart's at, and you're not going to convince me otherwise. And I think that's something you'd see is somewhat unique, perhaps not entirely, but more prevalent in motocross than in any other sport in the world, as I've already advocated for several times so I'll I'll try not to waste your time by repeating it one more time now Eli Tomac is tied with Via Poto at six championships might as well in this thing talking about him before we wrap it Uh, he's got four outside and he's got two inside you know in 2020 and 2022 And uh, he's looking to repeat for the third time this season, and he showed that he's probably on track to do it if Anaheim 1 is to be seen as any indication of that. And, of course, that would put him in a tie for third all-time with the man we just discussed a little earlier, the KTM's Ryan Dunchie. And while I'm not going to sit here and speculate over whether I think Eli might actually be the better rider, when you do take into account what is simply pure speed and talent on the bike, and we know that Eli has it when he's on, right? But he doesn't necessarily have it all the time. And I suppose that is a conversation that could be seen to go to his detriment when you are discussing whether he's one of the greatest of all time. Consistency is important not only in staying healthy, but in putting forth your best performance every time you line up. But when you look at Eli Tomac's career, I think consistency and speed has both improved towards the end of it. I think the reason he's winning more championships than other is because he's riding better than ever. I think he's continued to approve. Some guys come up and they're kind of in their prime right away, like a Ricky Carmichael, like a James Stewart, more so the first than the second. I think the uh, ending of Stewart's career was plagued more by injuries than by a lack of progress in the sport, you know, at the discipline of riding dirt bikes. But certainly Eli isn't, one of these types it's taken him a long time to develop and that's not to say it take took him a long time to develop in terms of skill but in terms of displaying a level of championship skill and mental toughness that could get him across the line time after time and uh, pull off the championship at the end of the season not just the seconds and thirds that he was getting In the beginning of his career in the championships, because he's always been a contender, right? Even if he's not the guy that wins everything at the end of the year, even if he doesn't get the number one plate, he was pretty much, with few exceptions, always in second or third. But honestly, I think the competition that he's facing today is on par or perhaps even exceeds some of the competition that he was facing earlier in his career. I certainly don't think it's any worse. And so I think that can be correlated to the suggestion that if he were as good as he is now, at the beginning of his career, I think he'd have a lot more championship titles to his name already. I think certainly inside, He would be approaching a Ricky Carmichael. He would be approaching five championships, right? That's not that hard to believe. Like we said, he came in second or third a lot. And one year he lost it to Ryan Dungy in 2017, I believe it was. And it came down to the last race. He only ended up losing by five points. And he had some mistakes at the end of that season, that allowed it to be such a close fight. And I'm not sure he makes those errors today. And I think he would have won it outright. And since I've shown a fearlessness towards speculation so far on this episode tonight, I would suggest that if he started winning earlier, it would build his confidence earlier. You see him brimming with enthusiasm these days in the post-race interviews. And Almost from time to time, it seems like even he's surprised that he's having the level of success that he's having in the twilight of his career or at any time. And I think if early on in his career, he'd been wowed by how good he was instead of being in the tunnel trying to hype himself up with pep talk before the main events, that he would be even higher on this all time win list and as a result the merit of his legacy as an equal to ricky carmichael or james stewart would be nearly impossible if not outright unfeasible to be denied that being said i guess that wraps up my efforts to advocate for eli tomac and hey you know perhaps this will all end up to be a pointless exercise just because the guy says he's retiring doesn't mean he's going to do it, right? He hasn't signed the contract for the motocross season yet. But these guys often sign short-term contracts. The sport is always changing. People are always getting hurt. People want to be able to get on good bikes if they're on bad bikes, and teams don't want to be stuck with Bum riders, basically, uh, if newer talent comes by. But anybody would be insane not to sign today's Eli. So he can race for as long as he wants. He can have a Justin Brayton, Chad Reed type career if he needs to. He could be old and gray, and I'm sure he's got enough money now to start his own fucking team, you know, probably run it with his dad, and he could rack up six championships there. We talked about how long McGrath rode, and I think Eli Tomac is just as healthy as him, just as much of a, a specimen, to use that word again. And uh, there's no reason that he couldn't keep going on and on if he wanted to. I'm going to speculate one more time before this podcast concludes. I, I think it's going to be hard for him to walk away with as much success as he was having. I don't think he's leaving because he's burned out. I think he was leaving because he thought he'd put in a good career and he'd finally got the Supercross wins he wanted and it was a good time to check out. And then he found out that with a little help from Chase, his career was gonna be elevated to an entirely new plane. And it's hard to see him walking away when he's the head fucking show, the big fucking cheese. If you still got the drive and he still seems like he's loving it, and more than that, he seems like the pressure's off him. It seems like knowing he doesn't have to race anymore is making him feel free to race and have a good time in a way that is simply unfeasible given the pressure on most of these guys. So I don't think we've seen the last of him. I think we could see him outside again, and I'd like to see him go out there, and I'd like to see him get seven moto wins in a season. And the reason I say I'd like to see him get seven wins is because if he were to get seven wins outside, that would tie him with one Mr. Ryan Dungey for the second most outdoor wins on a big bike of all time. Now, I know that is an impressive feat to accomplish. He only got four overalls outdoor last year, but we know that Chase Sexton gave him a heck of a time. And if you look at his indoor career, his career record wins in a season is eight, which he only accomplished once. But he has gotten seven wins in a season, an impressive number of times many many times it was not a one-off and so if that translated into the outdoor I could see him take it second place of all time or at least tying for it before all this is done and he rides off uh, into the sunlight right and supposing hypothetically that he did accomplish this let's just look at where that would leave him second of all time outside And then when it comes to inside, I said earlier, I think he can tie James Stewart. And if we look at the number of times he's gotten seven inside and the way he's riding, I think a safe prediction would be 50 by the end of the season. He does that, he ties Bubba for second all time. So he's uh, all time inside outside second place. And in accomplishing that, he would rack up 12 more wins. And if he gets 10 more wins, of any kind, he then surpasses, or that's to say that he actually ties, Jeremy McGrath's 87 wins, indoor, outdoor, combined. Now we're looking at a guy that's second place all-time outside, second place all-time inside, and second place period, when you look at it across both disciplines that we get to enjoy. Which I'm, it's gonna, you're going to call me crazy to say it, but I think that does qualify him as at least the third best writer of all time. I did not know if I was going to commit to that tonight. In fact, it was my plan not to. But uh, just seeing honestly how stoked I am on how he's doing these days and seeing how much he's loving it. And yeah, seeing a guy that had to put in the work and take some lumps before he got the success he desired it's really making me feel like I just got done watching Rudy or something else inspirational. And so, yeah, I'm going to commit to that and I'm going to call the number three, the number three of all time. And on that note, I'll just do a little mic drop and we'll step out here. I know this wasn't the uh, typical programming that you're looking for here or that we're always going to have in the future, but Hey, You know, uh, global warming seems to be real at this point. And uh, shit, the environment's going crazy. It's raining in California. And who knows if by this time next year, whether from forest fire or uh, drought or biblical level torrential rain, uh, we're not going to have any races take place in California outside. If that happens, or if any of the other races end up getting dashed here by catastrophe or otherwise, then maybe we will get back on here and uh, have another episode just like this. Until then, thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Sexy Ass supercrass Podcast. I have been your host, AJ, and uh, I want to tell you all to stay safe out there, but even more than staying safe. Please try to stay sexy, my friends. Until next time.